You're listening to The Invisible Addiction, a podcast investigating problem gambling. The isolation was really what I craved, mm. as well as the instantaneous outcomes. So I would just sit there, I would look at my machine, I wouldn't talk to anybody, and I would just be pressing a button. I had nothing, either it was going to be death or recovery. Okay, so joining us on the other end of the line today is Jeff, Jeff, Jeff W, Jeff Wazerman, um, who is a lawyer, well, was a lawyer. Uh, he's now a peer recovery specialist for Delaware Council on pro- uh, Gambling Problems. He's co-host on All In, the Addicted Gamblers podcast with over 150 episodes, uh, may I hasten, you know, hasten to add. And he's the founder of the Problem Gambling Support Groups uh, via Zoom. Um, with a WhatsApp group with over well over 100 members, I think. Um, Jeff, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you. How are you doing? Hey, Alex. How are you? Nice to see you. Oh, nice to see you too. No, thanks for joining us today. Um, well, there's lots of us, you know, lots lots for us to get through today. Um, I really wanted to kind of like approach things and just of you know hear about your gambling addiction story. Um, and I mean it's just a privilege to have you on and, and just to have an hour of your time and uh, to hear you talk. So, um, I mean, I don't know, where should we start? Uh, I mean, it's election day today in the U S it <laughs> is. It's, it's you know. a, it's a very, uh, monumental day, but, uh, that's okay. We still have to go on with our lives and, you know, this podcast I've been looking forward to do with you because I'm a, I'm a fan and, uh, yeah, let's, let's start, uh, you say you want to hear my story, and I'll be glad to talk to uh, to share that with you. No, that's that's great. That's great. I mean, for the listeners' um, benefit, Jeff and I, we we uh, we reached out, or Jeff, you reached out on Twitter, didn't you, um, a few months ago? And um, I kind of came on board, and you were, and we kind of got to know one another, and through the 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 the, the Zoom groups, and um, yeah, this is like the away leg, isn't it? Um, I, yeah, I certainly yeah. I certainly <clears throat> had done, you know, we we've done a podcast together on yours, haven't we? That's right. That's right. And, and you're being humble because I did reach out to you, but to tell you how much I enjoyed your podcast, I thought it was, uh, it was wonderful. Loved the, the vlog. I think I told you that how genuine, how real it is. And, uh, oh, thank you. it's, it's great to, to have, uh, to have you in this community that you and I belong to, which has been, you know, expanding and, uh, and really we are able to develop such great relationships and, uh, really appreciative of that mm-hmm. no thank you very very kind very kind i mean um i feel like i'm speaking to the grand master today you know uh, uh, not, the... at all. <laughs> not at all it's um yeah no as i say it's going to be great to tap into your experience so i mean I well would you like to maybe just spend a minute or two just introducing yourself telling telling the listeners a, a bit more about yourself and, and your background and experience sure absolutely so, um, as anybody listening can probably tell, I'm, uh, I'm in the U.S. And uh, I am currently 65 years old. And um, Are you? As, as, yeah, I am. I just turned 65 with, with all the benefits that we get for being 65, uh, which I like to look at the positive side of things. <laughs> You know, you must, have a, <laughs> you must have you must have a great plastic surgeon. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, right. <laughs> I think if I had one, I'd, I'd probably sue him for malpractice. But um, yes, but so I'll tell you about my my uh, 
my first exposure, I guess, to gambling. Um, I'm not going to go through it year by year or we'll be here until uh, probably uh, New Year's. But uh, yeah, it started, um, you know, I went to the racetrack as a kid. Um, I actually was raised in a town in New York called Elmont. And it's famous because Elmont is the home of Belmont Park, which hosts the uh, the third leg of the Triple Crown. Uh, any horse racing fans, especially in the U.S., would know about the Belmont Stakes. So uh, that was right in our town. And uh, in high school, friends and I used to, you know, go and and uh, watch a couple of races after classes ended. Maybe put a couple of very minimal bets in, and uh, that was my first foray into gambling. But uh, you know, as as my um, my life moved forward and went to college. Uh, gambling wasn't really in the picture too much. You know, back in those days, there wasn't that much of an opportunity to gamble. So I, you know, I'm, I'm always in awe about, you know, people that live in the UK and Australia and how they're able to address their gambling issues because it's all over, I mean, you can't walk anywhere without being hit with something about gambling. Mm. And unfortunately now in the U S it's starting to get that way. But certainly when I was growing up, it wasn't. Um, so I went to law school in, in Delaware, which is where I live now. And uh, it's about an hour and a half drive to Atlantic city. And at the time Atlantic city casinos were just developing. So uh, it was pretty uh, common for some friends of mine from law school and I to visit Atlantic City for the night and gamble at the casino. And that was really the first time I had been introduced to ca casino gambling. Mm -hmm. And I like to say that, um, you know, with the stress of first year law school um, and, uh, and my introduction to blackjack, the two sort of converged. And I found that uh, just playing blackjack or gambling in Atlantic City was my stress release. Uh, other friends of mine were using drugs and drinking, mm. and uh, and I was gambling. Uh, not to say that I was uh, not doing any of that other stuff, but gambling is what did it for me. It made me uh, it made me relax, and it also was just I I was in love with it. it I just loved the excitement, the action. I loved being in the casino. I loved playing with friends, blackjack and being there. But I was that guy that always wanted to stay later than my friends did and always lost more than my friends did. So looking back, I can see that I should have had those uh, warning signs at that time. Mm. But while I was going through it, it didn't really occur to me as anything that I had to address. I didn't affect my schoolwork it didn't affect relationships if i lost some more money than i needed to or that i wanted to i should say um well for the next few weeks then i would be eating mac and cheese or something and then uh, uh that's how it was handled but then as my i graduated law school uh became an attorney and uh, got married had a couple of kids and then you know life stresses go on as much as the joys in life happen they're uh, usually coupled with stress. And uh, again, my go-to for the stress was to gamble. And early on, I was very transparent about it. 
told my wife when I was meeting friends at the casino and she knew that I was, you know, hardworking and she felt I was a good husband, a good father. So if that was my thing to relax, all good. Um, and it was all good until it turned bad because um, I needed to go with more frequency and then I needed to bet with more money and then I was started to go alone. And then casinos started to crop up that were closer to me. So right now where I live is probably uh, 20 minutes uh, south of one casino and 20 minutes north of another casino. So I was surrounded by it. You know, I always say that when there's opportunity to gamble, there's much greater risk of developing a gambling problem. Mm. And for me, that's what, that's what happened. Mm, 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 sure. So, so how, how did, was it, was it a gradual kind of uh, this, was it a gradual thing or was it kind of an overnight thing? Yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting with, with my, uh, I guess my experience, it was very gradual. You know, they talk about gambling addiction or problem gambling being progressive in nature. And for me, it was, but the progression really developed very, very slowly. And uh, in some ways, uh, that made it even more difficult for me to recognize it. Because it wasn't, I can't look back and say that there was was one pivotal moment of my gambling where I completely lost control and I did this and that. Um, it just happened over time. And as I said, as I started to want to gamble more frequently and as the losses sort of added up, that's when the transparency ended. That's when the mm -hmm. lying started and the hiding of the gambling began. And that, you know, I consider that as, really the start of this downward spiral that mm. occurred for over many years. Mm, 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 sure, 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 sure. I mean, was it, was it this, at this point, I mean, I can relate so much to the, you know, the hidden side of things. And then, so I guess you were going with friends and you're being transparent, <clears throat> pardon me. And then you've start, you know, you start to go on your own. Um, was it just blackjack at this point or were you kind of, Oh, on other games as well. Yeah, that, that, that's a really uh, important question that you asked because um, it was blackjack for, for many years. Um, and then I found myself getting bored of blackjack. And when I say that, um, it shouldn't be interpreted as getting bored with gambling mm. because I still had that, that craving to gamble. Yeah. But... I sort of changed and, and now, you know, and now in recovery and learning about gambling addiction, I'm able to look back and say that I sort of transitioned from becoming, from being a, uh, an action gambler to what they call an escape gambler. So while I was playing blackjack, as mm -hmm. I said, I was craving that action, you know, the winning, the dopamine rush that we get every time. Uh, a card is is turned over, but when once I got to the point where my gambling had really started to cause significant harm, both financially and emotionally, um, I found that blackjack 
wasn't doing it for me because it was too slow. Um, that was that was the major thing that that turned me off. I didn't want to wait until the other players decided what cards to to select. I didn't want to wait for the dealer to shuffle the deck. And in fact, I didn't want to sit at a table with other people and and sort of have a chat. Yeah. As much as I used to love that, and I loved the socialization part of it, hmm. um, I found myself absolutely wanting to avoid that. And I was sort of drawn to slot machines, which okay. blew my mind at the time, Alex, because mm. I always viewed slot machines as that's not real gambling. Mm. You know, and now at the time I can say this, and I can't really say this today, given my age, but at the time I would say that slot machines were the, you know, well, that's what the old people would play. They would back in the day, they would take their buses to Atlantic city, go to the casino um, again, in those days, coins would actually come out of the machine <laughs> when you won. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's all gone. But, uh, you know, and then the old people would love to get the buffet lunches for free or the, you know, so that was my view of slot machines. But when I started to be drawn to those slot machines, first of all, they were, um, they were pretty high stakes slot machines because I always played in that special room with the high uh, amount slot machines. Mm. And I felt that that was, you know, that, that sort of set me apart in my own egotistical mind is, well, now I can do that. Mm. And the isolation was really what I craved mm. as well as the instantaneous outcomes so I would just sit there, I would look at my machine, I wouldn't talk to anybody, and I would just be pressing a button, you know, every couple of seconds. And it would literally put me in a zone. It would numb me. And as I said, I wasn't seeking the action. In fact, there came a point in time, it didn't even matter how much I won, except that it gave me more money to continue to play. And I say this because at that point I was in such debt mm. that even a huge jackpot would not have made a dent. So I just played actually to rid myself of the pain. As silly as that sounds and sort of counterintuitive mm. because most of the pain that I was experiencing was from gambling because gambling at that point had completely wrecked my life financially emotionally i was leading a double life but yet i had to continue to gamble because while i was playing the slot machine that was the only time all of the other stresses that i was experiencing from the moment i woke up to the moment i was able to fall asleep they were gone because i could focus on that machine and numb myself and that's, that was really, I would say, the, uh, the most significant um, uh, part of my gambling addiction or, or the highest level of severity is, yeah. is, you know, seeking that emotional help from, from gambling. Mm -hmm. Wow. 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 I mean, lots of, lots of thoughts for me there, Jeff. Um, I mean, I can relate to the blackjack certainly um for me it was almost the opposite i started on the roulette 
and I wanted to kind of get onto blackjack because it was for me it was seen as this almost a, a cut above you know the roulette was like well this is ridiculous but I can relate to everything you've just said there because it was like I didn't want to stop gambling I wasn't bored of roulette I wanted to just move on and get better and the blackjack um, the isolation makes complete sense as well um, again the blackjack table is quite actually quite sociable I think more sociable than say the roulette um, in my opinion but but then it got to a point where I could go to the casino and just sit there and not talk for hours apart from just a nod of a head or a tap of a finger or, you know, you know, wave my hand to say no cards or whatever. Um, but, but then again, another thought that you've given me, I don't know if you've, have you come across Louis Theroux? I don't know if you, he's a, he's a British journalist. I don't think so. No. Oh, okay. So, so Louis Theroux, he did this, um, he's a documentary maker and he did this documentary in um, Las Vegas. It's probably about 15, 20 years old now but um yeah and it, it relates to um the the point you made about slot machines perhaps being for the elder elderly people and he follows um part of the documentary he follows um this this el- you know el- uh, elderly woman who's been i think divorced or no sorry her husband died and she's been left like hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever and and yet she's every single day she's in there playing the slot machines and it's it's quite there's two sides of it it's quite it's quite positive because it's like almost like the social uh event for 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 her but it's also very sad because she spent she spent thousands upon thousands of pounds and um yeah so so those are some thoughts that have come into my head you know that that does not surprise me at all because um i i agree a a lot of uh, senior citizens they go there and you know it's interesting and i talk about the isolation but yet um, while you may be isolated in the sense that you're not engaging with others, there's a certain set sense of security in having all the people around. Mm. So it's not like you're isolated in a room by yourself. You're isolated yet. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of, you know, commotion all around while you're playing. So it's it's an interesting sort of um, you know uh, convergence of of busyness with being isolated. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time, Alex, I I had no. I mean, I only now can speak of it and understand why I was feeling that way, why I had those needs. But at the time, I literally thought I was going insane. I did not attribute my behaviors and my needs at the time to something that is the result of compulsive gambling. Mm. Because I didn't know anything about compulsive gambling. Obviously, I knew that I was gambling recklessly. But I didn't realize that compulsive gambling, number one, was an addiction, because I never thought about it. And number two is I didn't think that there are so many issues emotionally that are involved with a gambling addiction, you know, like seeking um, that uh, escape or the action or the dopamine rush. I mean, I didn't know this until I learned about it after beginning my, um, my recovery. At the time, you know, there was really a time that I thought, you know, I wonder if I have some sort of a brain tumor tumor that was making my um my thought process wacky because i knew what i wanted 
but I couldn't rationalize why I wanted it. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes, I'm I'm, I'm nodding here because I'm just like, wow, that's exactly, you've you've described exactly how I felt. Um, You just couldn't place it and and you, you couldn't attribute any of the, downfalls or the any of the you know the recklessness that was going on in my life and the, the, the harm I was causing to not myself not only myself but others but um but yet you just couldn't couldn't place the fact that it was actually because of the gambling um it's it's nuts so were you so were you able to kind of still operate at work were you you know were you still doing all right um in your job yeah yeah in fact uh, I remember very vividly sort of the the day after um, the proverbial shit hit the fan and everything blew up and I was caught. And uh, one of my closest friends uh, came to visit me and I was, I was in bed and, and uh, he had been shocked like everybody else about who I really was and what I was doing. And uh, his observation was, he says, you know, I can't believe, Jeff, that you were able to compartmentalize as you did because I was able to do my work. Um, clearly, it was not at full uh, capacity, but I was able to do enough where I continued to hide my other life. Mm. Um, and it was it was really strange the way I was able to sort of focus on that. Now, I will tell you in, in full disclosure, for the last couple of years, I had um, I had some help, and I say this because um, my wife had uh, noticed uh, that I was really having difficulty sleeping. Obviously, she didn't know why. I knew why, uh, so she made an appointment for me to see a psychiatrist, at which I went on. But of course, I never told the psychiatrist about the gambling. Mm-hmm. I was still hiding. Uh, you know, when you hide it, you're hiding it for everybody. Mm. So this psychiatrist happened to have been someone that was, I would say, fairly liberal in prescribing medication. So I just told him, look, I'm I'm really having a difficulty sleeping. And then in the morning, I have to go to work and I'm a lawyer and I have to really be sharp. And uh, the lack of sleep was just really uh playing an awful um you know an awful role in my ability to concentrate so his remedy was giving me valium so i would sleep at night and then adderall to take in the morning so i could be sharp during the day and i look back at that um, and i remember thinking at the time oh man that Talk about hitting the jackpot for a compulsive gambler. Mm-hmm. That allowed me to continue to exist on three hours of sleep, gamble till all hours of the night, mm-hmm. and then wake up in the morning, take my Adderall, and I was able to function at work. And, um, you know, I look back on it, and I'm sure it was taking a physical toll on me as well as you know emotionally but that did allow me to continue the charade now i don't fault the psychiatrist because i never disclosed the mm. gambling mm-hmm. but uh, yeah that was the first thing that i was taken off when i uh when i started to uh, my recovery wow 
So Jeff, so how, how did, um, so you spoke about your friend that found out and, and, and stuff. How, how did that come out in the wash? Was it, did, did you tell everybody or uh, did they find out sort of um, inadvertently? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm always, again, um, I, I always admire the people that I have met in recovery that have had this epiphany and they've finally admitted that gambling had defeated them and they voluntarily choose to either go to GA or tell their significant other or somehow start the process of, of recovery. For me, there was, that was not going to happen. I mean, I knew Alex that I would never, admit the problem or at least i would never seek help on my own mm -hmm. i had gotten in myself into a situation um first of all where i started to have a lot of difficulty in continuing to gamble just because of the money because of the enormous debt you know obviously the loans had all been um exhausted the 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 credit cards had been maxed out. Um, there were no other legal resources for me to get money. Mm. And, um, and so I went to the illegal resources and I started to gamble with money that were, was in my law firm's accounts. And in my own mind, you know, I'm not a criminal. I would never embezzle money or take someone else's money i was just going to borrow it and once either um not so much gambling wise of hitting a jackpot to pay it back although at the beginning that was doable um then it got to the point where the amount of money that i quote borrowed was such that well for me it was you know once i settle the next big case I would simply replenish the account. And without going into it too much, you know, too technical, um, it wasn't a situation where any, anyone knew I, what I was doing. Nobody didn't get funds that they were entitled to. I was the managing partner of my small firm. So I was the only one that really had access to a number of accounts. So that wasn't an issue. I wasn't really concerned about anybody complaining and that would lead to me getting caught. But there was one thing that I knew was going to happen. And that was that one day my law firm's accounts would be audited randomly because that's what, uh, what they do here. Um, maybe it's hard to predict because obviously they're random, but certainly three, every three, four, five years. So I had a plan in, in my own mind that when the day came and I got the dreaded email that our accounts would be audited. And of course, that would be the, the, the moment that I knew that I could no longer hide all of the horrible things that I was doing. Um, I had a plan that I was gonna either flee the country or end my life. And that was my sort of end game. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting when I decided on that plan, it almost gave me some 
closure, some peace, if you, if you will. Um, as horrible as that sounds, and, and I only felt that way because at the time, obviously, I was sick. Mm. And, you know, no normal person would have the, that kind of a thought. But I just felt at the time it would be so overwhelming when I got caught to endure the shame and the pain, uh, especially to my wife, especially to my two adult children. Hmm. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this before, but one, my, my son is an attorney and he was also okay. working for me at, at my firm, was clearly unaware of anything that I was doing that was, um, you know, related to, to some of the things that I talked about. And I just felt how, how could I ever get through the shame of him finding out? I mean, he chose a profession that his father had, hmm. you know, typically that happens when there's, you know, when, when your father's a role model, hmm. at least hmm. of sorts. Hmm. And I was his, father, his boss, his mentor, and now he would discover what I had done. I mean, I just, it, it just seems so unbearable to me. Hmm. So um, back in July of 2015, and um, that's when that email came that, that they were going to audit my account, my accounts. And um, I, uh, I very politely declined the audit and left my office and I just sat in my car at a parking lot of a local convenience store and it said okay Jeff well this is what you've been planning for mm. I, I literally said now is the time to you know implement the plan and so many thoughts obviously were going through my head and I was thinking of my my wife and my children and I sort of rationalized that my wife would get over it. I mean, of course she would grieve as would my children. But again, in that sick mindset, I, I thought, well, but when they found out what I had done and who I really was, I think that they would probably get over the grief pretty quickly and it would turn to anger. But then I just, for some reason, I thought of, my mother, who at the time was 80, I want to say 88 years old. And um, my thought was, and I had never even given this a thought before that day, that she wouldn't be able to survive. And uh, so if I was going to end my own life, I would be ending hers as well. Hmm. And I said, uh, I, I, I really don't know how I, how I, did it because I was so bent on my plan on, on following through. I said, I just can't do that to her. And that's when I went home and uh, told my wife and that wow. started that, uh, what I would call the weekend of horror where the same weekend I had told my wife and I told mm -hmm. my, my law partner and then my, my children. And, um, what, what was just amazing to me is the compassion that they had for me. Hmm. Uh, now, 
I want to say, especially with my wife, I, I can't say that it was all compassion because I destroyed her financially. And more importantly than that, I destroyed what she thought was a relationship with her husband that was based on the truth and trust mm -hmm. and all the things that I, you know, I tried to portray and then finding out that the man that she was married to for over 30 years, she didn't know. Mm -hmm. You can imagine how traumatic that was. And it was, and you know, my first year of recovery, there was still so much anger and so much, you know, in a sense, so much um, guilt because the victims that the gambler hates, um, many of them feel guilty. Like, why didn't I see it? Why didn't I figure it out? And that's the worst thing for me to hear because, you know, I was feeling my own shame. I, I wanted to own the shame because it wasn't anybody else's fault except my own. But uh, it, was, it was a very tumultuous year of recovery. And, um, you know, really not knowing whether or not the marriage was going to last, but she stayed with me. And mm -hmm. um, it was that process that I had to demonstrate to her, to my children, to any, you know, all my loved ones that I was going to address my recovery very seriously. And and I had to be committed uh, to recovery, which I was. And you know, and I again, I often say that it was it wasn't as difficult for me as it was. I would suggest to even people like you or others in the sense. And I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not trying to to judge your own um, recovery and 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 what you were going through, but just in terms of your age. Um, you know, for, for, for me, I had nothing, either it was going to be death or recovery. Mm. Um, I had lost, you know, when everything came out, I had lost my job. I had lost my profession. I was put on what's called disability inactive status, meaning that I had a condition, uh, in, in my case, obviously mental condition that in which I could no longer practice law competently. Mm. Um, I was very fortunate to, to have that result because the only reason why is because I was able to access retirement funds in order to reimburse uh, the accounts oh, okay. that I yeah. gambled with. Yeah. So again, and, and there was no, quote, victim in the sense that there was nobody that was harmed and that complained and, and mm. so on. But um, it was it was almost you know easy for me because at that point I had nothing I I didn't resist recovery when when um, when I was told that I would no longer have access to money or credit cards or debit cards um, I never I never thought anything other than boy that is a burden off my shoulders because I had such stress, you know, especially those last years of, you know, looking at the accounts and, and transferring from one to the other and making sure that this yeah. one, did, you know, it was, I mean, incredible. I spent probably a couple of hours a night 
just, you know, trying to do these acrobatics so I wouldn't get <laughs> yeah. caught. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was, it was done. So I just felt nothing but relief. Mm. Um, and of course I felt security that I didn't want to have any, you know, any ability to gamble, even if I wanted to. And for me, certainly for at least six to nine months of my uh, recovery, the th I didn't have, not only did I not have urges, mm. but the thought of gambling made me sick. I mean, I spent my first week in recovery in a psychiatric hospital because of, you know, my um, suicidal uh, thoughts that I expressed. And, um, mm. you know, it, it, it's crazy. I mean, one day I was, I was driving to work in my Mercedes that was leased by my firm, which if you saw me, you would say, oh, there's somebody that is a successful guy that probably has, a, you know, enough money to be very comfortable. Yeah. And, uh, and in a matter of, you know, a day, I was without a job, without a profession, without a car. You know, I was, mm, I had nothing, mm, mm. but I did have my loved ones who stood by me, which was amazing. Um, so I am so, so fortunate that that's how it, you know, how it played out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Um, that was, uh, I was, well, what, it, what share, it feels almost, you know, almost like a, a Zoom meeting there in itself. Um, <laughs> but um, my, sometimes my yeah. life is like a Zoom meeting. <laughs> <laughs> it is right now with another lockdown. Upon us. Right, right. <laughs> but, but um, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, so many thoughts. Um, I mean, yeah, I, 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 not. I'm a bit lost for words, Jeff. Um, what, what? Um, so, so, what was that first? Well, sorry, I, sorry, I'm a bit lost for words. Um, let me just compose myself. I, I can totally, I can relate a lot to the the money situation in terms right. of, you know, bizarrely, when I was at the casino, I wouldn't be happy, and, bizarrely happy until I almost didn't have any money um, right. and the relief and, and everything like that. So yeah, I can relate a lot to, to everything you've, you've mentioned there. Um, so how did you get help? Obviously you were, you were saying you're in a sort of right. psychiatric uh, unit. Sure. So, so talk us through maybe that, those, those next steps. Absolutely. So while I was in the hospital, um, my, my wife and mostly my son, now my son, you know, at the time, I guess was, I want to say 20, about 28 years old. Mm. And as I said, he, and he, he continued to work for, um, excuse me, at my firm. Very fortunate. My, my former partner still had him continue to work. And, um, and he really stepped up um, and assumed the role of, um, you know, of treatment uh, director, I would say. And both he and my, my wife um, just went, made a lot of calls, went on the internet, wanted to see what opportunities there were for somebody in my situation. So, um, and they did that while I was, you know, away and, um, they called, um, actually where I work now, which is the Delaware council on gambling problems, uh, to get help. And they were put in touch with GA and they were put in touch with a, a gambling counselor. 
and uh, and then made arrangements with a psychiatrist for me to see. So that was sort of all in place. So when I was discharged, I, I you know I often say this. I was discharged. I'll never forget on August third of twenty fifteen, which is the date. Which I mean, it's crazy to think about it now. It was the date that I was discharged. Um, I, it was the date of my first Gamblers Anonymous meeting, and it was also my wife's birthday. Wow. And, uh, you know, still having those insane thoughts, uh, as that when I was discharged on that day, I thought, oh, my wife would be really, will be really happy that I'm home for her birthday. But uh, that clearly was not the case. She no. wanted no parts of me no. and uh, said it was probably the worst birthday gift she got because she was still obviously so hurt and so in so much pain. So, you know, so I often say that instead of taking my wife out to dinner for her birthday, I was taken to my first GA meeting. Mm -hmm. So I continued to, to go to GA and, and work with a gambling counselor. And uh, I was put on medication um, from a psychiatrist that I saw. And, um, and the days at home were spent, you know, with my dog. My wife was working because she had to, um, and it was good for her as well. And uh, and doing a lot of looking on the internet about, quite frankly, how I got so fucked up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did not understand it. And then I started to learn about it. And I started to learn about gambling disorder. And um, that was really, that was my epiphany that and going to my first GA meeting and reading, you know, what we call the combo book. Okay. And he, and just reading passages that I thought should have been written for me only because I didn't think anyone else experienced those things. And then of course when I heard people share in my GA room, it was it was incredible. You know, I often say it it was like finding um that there were other people in the planet that I came from. Yeah. Um, so that started really, it, it, I have to say, Alex, it was that gave me hope. That, of course, and, and what my family was doing, that they were willing to give me that chance mm -hmm. and not abandon me. Mm -hmm. um, so I continued on that path, on that recovery path of GA therapy, psychiatrist, and, you know, certain, certain roadblocks, like I said, um, giving up access to money, which I think is huge for anyone yeah. that is able to have somebody in a trusting relationship to, you know, be that accountability person and to take charge because we want it, you know, I always say now that we want it to put an, enough distance between our gambling thoughts or urges and the ability to act on them. Mm. And we put enough, we put those, that distance by making it more difficult for us to gamble, like giving up access to money, like self-exclusion, mm. um, you know, things of that nature. I always consider roadblocks. I mean, they're not treatment. You don't, they're not, in my view, they're not methods of recovery. They are, you know, physical, roadblocks to put in our way mm. and uh, and they're helpful because when we do have an urge it makes it more difficult for us to carry it out and then hopefully as we 
go further in recovery, then we learn about recovery, which sort of goes hand in hand with the roadblocks. So not only does it become difficult for us to gamble, but we start to really not want to gamble and look at this you know, better way of life that's always talked about in recovery. Mm. So, but that takes a, a while to sort of get to that point. Um, I know that I have to leave my location function on my iPhone on all the time. So my two children and my wife can track me 24 yeah. seven, which yeah. is great. Now, while I was gambling, it would always be off. And even when my wife said, you can't be working at the office till three o'clock in the morning. And I would swear that I was yeah. while sitting, sitting in front of a slot machine. Um, and she would try to track me and never be able to. And I would swear that the location where my office was, was so poor in terms of the, you know, Wi-Fi capabilities or whatever the hell I made up mm. that she couldn't track me, mm. which was, you know, one of hundreds of that I've told in order to continue to gamble. Yeah, sure. Sure, sure, sure. It's just, uh, it's like the, the layers of guilt, isn't it? The layers of, um, of, uh, well, the lies and, and, and yeah. Um, yeah. It almost becomes, you know, it becomes routine. Yeah. It becomes easy. You know, when we first, you know, I'll speak for myself. When I first started the lying, mm. I did feel guilty about it, but that was very short lived. Mm. Um, and then it became, then I would lie about anything. Like my wife would say like, Oh, did you have um, a salad for lunch today? And I said, Oh yeah, definitely. But yeah. I'd have like a cheeseburger. I mean, yeah. even even lies that were just insignificant because my mind was such that my first response, if someone asked me a question, was not to respond truthfully, mm. but to respond in a way that would benefit me the most. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I, I, do you know what? I was I was recording a vlog uh, this week actually, and and one of the things that I was sort of speaking about it was the first time I lied, and it was um, I was in the bookies. Uh, I don't. Do you have bookies in the US? I don't know if you do. Or, or, uh, well, each no. state's different. I mean, we have we you know certain states have um, not really bookies, but certain states let's say have you know slot machines, what, what you what you would call fruit machines, yeah, in bars or convenience stores, etc. Uh, but but um, no, we have mostly casinos on states that allow them. But yeah. I'm, I'm, I've since become extremely well versed in gambling in the UK, so I know what the bookies are. Yeah. Our <laughs> our bookies are the are the guys that illegally take bets. Okay, okay. So uh, yeah, so th there's definitely a difference in in the way that we uh, we interpret that term. But I, I know what you're saying. Okay, and, and and isn't there? I think is it pokies as well down in Australia as well. Or pokies Australia, yes. fruit machines for you, and slot machines, or we, you know, we call them sometimes. I don't know if you ever heard VLTs or video lottery uh, terminals, and that's okay. just a way for that states were able to have slot machines by making it part of their lottery, right, um, and not violate any kind of state constitutional prohibition on on gambling machines i mean it's crazy but yeah you know, there's obviously always a way to get around it but yeah you were saying about the uh the bookies oh yeah lies. sure sure yeah yeah so it was um yeah it was the first time i lied and it was i almost got a bigger buzz out of the fact that i could hide what i'd been doing um i'd been in the bookies and i'd got in trouble with the police i'm not i'm pretty ashamed of it 
my friends will know this story. It's quite embarrassing. I appreciate if you didn't share, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but yeah, and my dad called me up and he's like, Alex, where are you? Uh, and I was in the bookies and um, I had to lie because uh, the police were waiting at my home uh, and had to go back. And obviously I was embarrassed because of the, the whole police incident um, and what I was going to say to my dad. But, but then the fact that I had to hide where I'd been for the last couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon and the fact that I could pass that off that I'd been at the shops or wherever I'd been, you know, you know, quote unquote been, um, I got a bigger buzz out of that. And it was like, whoa, that was easy. That was like, that was a bit of a, that was a real, like, you know, fine. I don't know what the word is, but you know, you know, so yeah, I can totally, totally relate to that. And I hear what you're saying. Cause I, I've felt the same way at times. It's almost like um, we're able to, um, to pull off the con mm. and, and that's how, and, and I've heard that from many, many people that, you know, have a, a gambling problem that it's almost, um, you know, it, it allows us to, to take the risk of doing something and hiding it and it doesn't necessarily have to be gambling or money related and being able to get away with it you know it's a very it's very interesting that a lot of us mm. sometimes get that get that feeling of wow it worked yeah yeah sure yeah. sure 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 so so jeff i mean uh are you okay for time are you okay for like another yeah. 10 10 15 minutes sure yeah absolutely yeah, great, great, great. I mean, I've got I've got a list of questions here, and for the listeners' benefit, we've we've got I've got sort of three 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 lines down, and there's about twenty <laughs> in total. So. I told you, Alex, I talked too much. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, maybe maybe we'll have to do a part two another time or something. But <laughs> we could we could story you know, of my life. That's a story, we, Brian. Are you listening? That's a story of my life. Part two. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So, um, so tell us how did, how did you get involved with the Delaware council and, and, and pick up a job there as a peer support specialist? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'll, I'll start by saying that I, I got connected with it. Um, as I said, you know, my wife and my, my son reached out to them. So I knew of, of, of their existence. Mm. Um, and I also knew that one of the people that regularly attended my GA meeting, worked there okay and you know after being unemployed for a number of months i happened to work just i was looking for something to do and i said you know i said to him is there any kind of opportunity i mean even volunteering i would be happy to do that so to make a long story short there was an opportunity for me to have uh, a couple of shifts on our helpline and um, usually they want people with a year of recovery at least, but I was pretty close to it mm. and got training for it. And that involved maybe just three or four days a month having a shift answering calls for people um, with a gambling problem. Um, and that sort of led me just to connect with some people at the council and the executive director and had a meeting with, with them and, um, there was an opportunity that came up to, they wanted to hire me, to be frank with you, um, which was amazing. And there's always work to do, as you can imagine. So um, because of my, you know, because of my background as a lawyer, they thought that I could bring some, um, some value in advocating 
for um, treatment of gambling addicted offenders in the criminal justice system mm -hmm. by educating judges and lawyers about the addiction and uh, hopefully to try to see if um, people that commit crimes, and they're usually nonviolent economic crimes to further their gambling, could have the same opportunities to get treatment as people with, let's say, a substance addiction like drugs. You know, we have over 3,000 drug courts in the US and uh, people that are eligible to enter a drug court, basically the idea behind them is you don't just punish them, you develop a treatment plan. Yeah. So the underlying disease or addiction that motivated the criminal behavior can be addressed. Mm. And then if they follow through with a plan, which usually could be as long as 18 months or longer, um, then the, um, for many, the, the, uh, the charge is dismissed. Um, and it's, it's often more onerous than actually if you go to a traditional court and you're slapped on the wrist or serve a couple of months in prison because, you know, here, um, for violent, you know, prison mostly are for violent, uh, crimes, uh, although depending upon how much money is involved, it could, it could very well, um, warrant a prison term. So, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. In fact, that's really my role at, that, that my, my title is Judicial Outreach and Development Director. And uh, that, was, that was a title that I had to make up to sort of fit with what I do. <laughs> Where the peer support comes in is that there was an opportunity for me to, uh, you know, to get certified as a peer recovery specialist. And uh, in fact, I was the first one in my state with lived experience in gambling addiction. Everybody else has lived experience in, in drugs and alcohol. Mm. So that was kind of neat to mm. do that. Mm. And, um, and I also got a certification in, in, um, in gambling counseling, but I'm not a counselor, nor do I think that I have the necessary credentials as, as people that have gone through years of school. Mm. But it allows me to, when I give a talk about gambling, when I, and I, I do that a lot, I, I go to conferences and share my story. Mm -hmm. And that's usually coupled with at least some education about the addiction because it's important for people to know about it. So now I have at least some credibility that I have gone through some formal training and I'm just not talking, you know, uh, based on my own knowledge or my, my you know, my own learning. Yeah. So that's been great. So I, I, I love what I do. And yeah. that, um, you know, and that caused me to go into a couple of areas on my own, which as you know, one was, was the podcast. Mm. Um, and I started, uh, I became involved in that as a fan actually of, of Brian on, yeah. you know, it's all in the addicted gamblers podcast. And back in 2017, I heard it and I, I, I say this and people laugh because, you know, I didn't even know what a podcast was much before that. <laughs> Somebody had, had told me yeah. that at, at work that I should listen to this podcast um, called Serial because it was, you know, me being a lawyer and it was about this really interesting crime and uh, alleged, you know, murder of somebody strangling their girlfriend. And I loved it. And that caused me to say, oh, I wonder if there's a gambling 
addiction oh. podcast. Okay. Now, there are plenty, as you know, Alex, of yeah. gambling podcasts that teach you how to gamble. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, at the time, um, there, at least as far as I could see, there was only one, which was all in. And I started to listen to Brian. At that time, he was doing episodes with his, his best friend, Chris, who was not a gambler. Mm. And Brian was just sharing his story. I, and I thought, man, this was fascinating to be able to actually listen to this and it was entertaining and I really liked it. And I, you know, Brian had, I think had put out something or said on the podcast that you know, anybody that's interested in sharing their story can come on. And that's, so I emailed him and that's sort of how it started. And then we became, you know, friends and, uh, and at a point where I guess he had me, he had me on the podcast so much that he said, you know what, we might as well make you the co-host because, you know, you've, you've been on too much. <laughs> right, right. So I love doing that. I'm great. I'll, I'll always be grateful for him to introduce that to me because for me, that's also a form of recovery. Yeah, sure. And, um, and that got me thinking about what else can we do that's sort of outside of the box mm. in terms of reaching out to people mostly young people that are struggling with gambling, but maybe are not ready to go to a GA meeting, or maybe they have this perception of what that meeting was, was like, or maybe they've attended it and they didn't connect because there are mostly the people in a GA meeting look more like me than they do look like you, Alex. And the people that look like me usually are not in recovery just a few years. They haven't gambled in 25 years. So when they sure. share about their gambling stories, you know, they talk about gambling, I'm going to say with bookies, but American bookies, meaning yeah. the illegal bets, yeah. and not about the forms of gambling that are much more common today, especially with online gambling and mm. poker and sports betting and things of that nature. So, um, so that's when I started to you know, acquaint myself with social media, which was definitely um, an interesting journey because I, I mean, I was on Facebook, but old people are always on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, right? <laughs> I was gonna say, it's just for the oldies, isn't it? <laughs> it's just for the old people. Yeah. So then I started to, um, well, my son and son-in-law actually introduced me to Reddit a while back because mm. they would send me this really you know, stupid stuff that was posted on Reddit because they know my maturity level was such that I would laugh at that stuff and I liked reading it. Yeah. And then it caused me to see and, and, and discover that there was this problem gambling sub on Reddit. Mm. And Alex, I started reading it and I knew, you know, it was clear that most of the posts were from younger people mm. who were really struggling, but many of them weren't doing anything or didn't know what to do. Um, I know a lot of them had were listening to Jamie's podcast, which is great. Yeah. Um, after gambling podcast, and I thought that was awesome. But I kept thinking about like, what else are they doing? And so I I said, you know what, I'm going to post something to see if anybody had an interest in an online group. And I sort of used what I learned by talking to people in my own GA room that were younger that I would see come in and go out just as quickly and say, well, tell me what, you know, you can tell me I'm not, you know, I don't have allegiance or any kind of yeah. skin in the game. So tell me what you don't like about GA or what maybe 
it could do to improve or make you want to go. So the couple of things that I heard mostly were this generational divide. Mm -hmm. And the second one was that the meetings were really long. And especially guys in their 20s and, and women in their 20s and 30s that were going to, driving to a meeting. They spent a half an hour to get there. They spent two hours in a meeting. Many of the shares they weren't really connecting with. Then they'd leave the meeting and somebody that looked like me again would you know, stop them in the parking lot to talk more because, you know, some people are retired and they don't have to get up early or they don't have to get up and feed their kid or to go to work. And it, 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 I understood it. It was, it was a very huge commitment to go to a meeting. So I said, you know, let, let's try it. The only, the only parameters that I sort of wanted to put in place are that um, the meetings would be online and everyone that participated would be on camera as well as audio mm. because I wanted to create that connection so I can look at you and you can look at me and while I'm sharing you can see my pain yeah if I was challenged or going through a difficult time and when I was sharing and I achieved some sort of success you could also see how I how I was looking at that point and you could compare the two and you can just develop that connection that we can't develop just on a phone call. Cause sure. I've tried the phone calls and while they're better than not doing any meeting, you don't really develop those relationships. So posted that started uh, with a couple of people saying, yeah, I'll be, you know, I'll be into it. And the meeting are, meetings are just one hour. So again, not to yeah. interfere with too much time, start out with three meetings a week. And then um, actually one meeting a week, I should say. And then as a couple of people, a couple more people joined, what I was shocked about is that I just thought it was going to be Americans, to be honest with you. <laughs> and then, then I got, you know, contacted by people in the UK and then people in Australia and people, you know, somebody yeah. in Turkey and somebody in Poland. It's true, it was truly global, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. And I, and I yeah. said, man, and these people can speak English. And I'm saying like, we are so, I mean, seriously, we, 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 are, we are so, um, I don't know if it's um, snobbery or um, just self-indulgent here in the States that we, we don't think we really need to learn a second language. I mean, As I say, most, most of you don't have a passport, do you? Uh, no, well, that's another story. Well, right now we don't need them. Um, <laughs> but, but, but seriously, I, I'm amazed at that. So this whole, like you said, global, um, you know, uh, element to it and the international element to it has been really fun. So yeah. while it's support, we also get to meet people from different places and the experiences though, as, as you know, mm. they're all the same. I mean, mm. maybe there were different forms of gambling, maybe, you know, the opportunities that were there for persons in other places were different but we've all experienced the pain and we all want to get better. And we all want a group that understands us because we've all been there mm. and that we can share. And it's just been incredibly amazing to me and helpful. And um, so now, you know, then COVID came mm. Mm. and, you know, not knowing obviously that this was going to happen and GA meetings were shut down. And then there was this, you know, boom, 
with yeah. uh, online meetings and Zoom and, and all that. So right now we, we run meetings every day mm. uh, and we try to accommodate people that are in different time zones. So we stagger the times and that's been great. So between the meetings and the podcast and work, and also, you know, I reach out and do some peer work with some individuals again mm. on my own. Um, it's, it's great. And then of course I have my, my family and I have three grandchildren that I've, uh, you know, that have come into my life since recovery. So I can't tell That's you how, uh, how, how amazing my life is and and what i owe to recovery and that's one of the reasons why i do what i do because um you know i i, I do think that i can use this nightmarish experiences that i've had for with gambling um as as i'm sure you feel the same way doing what you do somehow to help others and to bring value and um, it's great. And I get to meet such great people and, and develop friendships. Well, virtually, yeah. yeah. But yeah. like, you know, yeah. you know, like you and I and, and others that That's have, right. I mean, some you know, the people that I've, that I go to meetings with, I mean, some of them that have been with me for a while, I mean, I would consider them close, close friends. Sure. Um, so it's, it's, it's great. I just have to watch myself in terms of balancing my life. Um, you know, yeah, we spoke week. about this the other week, didn't we? Where it's sort of, right. you know trying to balance it all, to, yeah. all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What well, do you I, mean? I, families and you know family, relationships yeah, and yeah, yeah. But again, my, my family knows what I do and how important it is, and yeah. they're very supportive. And I do uh, look when my, my 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 daughter who has the my newest grandchild. It's her first, and he's uh, four months old. Oh, um, she knows that anytime she needs me to. To babysit, I put everything else aside. Yeah, and um, and I do that, and and I have just wonder. My, both of my kids, Alex, live within a few miles from where I live. So that's I mean, great. Can it be? It can't be any better than that. So I'm so <laughs> I'm blessed about that. But yeah, it's 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 pretty damn awesome. So I, yeah, I just hope somebody that is listening now or mm. listens to your other episodes or our episodes, um the thing that I would love people to walk away with is that there's always opportunity to recover. There's always hope no matter how much of a, you know, of a rock bottom. And I really don't like that term because you can always go lower as long as you're alive, hmm. but no matter how much of a bottom that you've hit and how much shame you have about your gambling and about, you know, other things that we've all or many of us have destroyed in our addiction, there's always hope to turn our lives around. And you demonstrate that. I think I demonstrate that all of us that are, you know, in this community of reaching out and, and doing our part to help others know how rewarding it is to mm -hmm. do that. Because I feel for myself, I get as much, if not more, out of it myself than I give to others, which yeah. sounds really, really old fashioned, corny bullshit, but it really isn't. I mean, I really genuinely feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Me too. I mean, I'm just sure. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm so shy that I haven't really talked much. <laughs> you're like the perfect, you're like the perfect guest. <laughs> no, no. I know you have the 17 questions and I sure hope that I've answered 
all of them. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. No, oh, you, you spoke at such great length about so many really important topics. Um, um, I mean, I just want to go on record and say how inspirational I think you are. You're very humble. You're modest. Uh, you've got a massive, you know, you've got a big, big heart. Um, and yeah, like I, I want to echo everything you've said, which is, you know, which is amazing to, you know, I consider you a close friend um and and to you know meet like-minded people on the zoom groups and like you mentioned a bit earlier about the ga thing where you go and all of a sudden you you're like ah there are other people like me on this planet right. i totally there's a few you know not everybody but 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 a lot of people that i've spoken to i'm like we must be wired the same way we must have some yeah. sort of dna it's like a i don't know it's almost like a family in a bizarre sort of way it really um, is it really so, is yeah it's um so, 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 Jeff. I mean, just before we wrap things up, um, is there anything that you want to mention? Where can people find you? Um, obviously, I'll leave links in the description. But is there anything that you want to sort of mention before we, before we go? Sure, sure. People can always um, connect with me uh, on Twitter. It's J P W D E L. It's D like in David E L. Nineteen fifty five, and I'll let you figure out what that means. Um, that's my, uh, <laughs> that's my, my Twitter handle and, um, yeah, uh, reach out. I mean, if anybody's interested in, uh, in getting help, uh, looking, looking into our, our, uh, zoom group or, um, just talking, I, I, I just love to connect with people. I really mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. And I love to, uh, to be able to share you know, as they say, what I found, I want to share what I have been blessed to have found with others who need it. Because look, that's how I got what I was found. Somebody helped me. N many people helped me, whether it was in GA or uh, just, just family members, friends that have reached out. So I want to give back because I want, you know, I want to feel good, continue to feel good about myself. And that's what helps me the most. So, you know, again, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I have to say again that seriously, I did reach out to you, as you know, because I love what you're doing. Um, and, uh, you know, people sometimes say, you know, is there competition? Because now there are a number of mm -hmm. podcasts and mm -hmm. I don't think anybody feels that way. I mean, we all Maybe have the same brother. mission. Um, the only, I, I'll be honest with you, Alex, and I've never said this before, but the only jealousy or envy that I have is I wish I did this when I was 30, but uh, I can't help that. And I've, or I've learned to accept the things that I can't change. So it's amazing. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, um, I mean, what, what, a, it's just like the, the rich tapestry of life. You, you have such, uh, such richness um, of, of a life and of experiences. And um, I just want to say, if anyone is listening and uh, wants to reach out to Jeff, you know, please do it. Just, just do it. You, you know, he's an amazing, amazing man. Um, yeah. But uh, well, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Alex. I enjoyed it. This was great to, to sort of be in this seat and now I know how you, you want the all in. Um, it's, it's kind of, uh, interesting now. Um, yeah, just, it is, it's great. It's good. And, and, and I must say, um, I've, I've, that's, that's, that's one of the questions I didn't ask, but, um, cause I, all in Jeff and Brian, they recently did a live episode, uh, for the Connecticut, um, 
uh, council? council yeah, 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 that was yeah. really cool. Yeah, we did that uh, last week, um, and it was amazing. Um, yeah. Again, grateful to the Connecticut Council on uh, Problem Gambling for giving us that opportunity. We had a session of uh, about one hour where we, I mean, obviously the conference was virtual mm. given uh, the current situation, but um, yeah, we did it. And uh, I think we got a lot of positive feedback about it. And again, a lot of people, even that do the kind of work that we do and in our community of recovery or treatment or prevention of gambling addiction, um, some of them really, for the first time, realize that there are you know other tools like a podcast to reach out mm. and i think that's that's really important so it was it was fun it was kind of nerve-wracking actually yeah because as you know we have <laughs> that that security of knowing that if we screw up we could always edit something mm. but when we record it um before um a live you know live uh, audience if you will um but we didn't manage to screw up. I don't think too bad. No, no, that's good. And, uh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and we're going to play it on the podcast too. So. Oh yeah, please, please do. Yeah, yeah. yeah so do. anybody could uh, could yeah. listen. Yeah. The, and they, they can find you all in. Well, it's it's at a podcast for you on Twitter. Um, yes. But it's uh, all in the Addicted Gamblers podcast, and you've got over 150 episodes, and it's it's yeah, it's it's great. Go go and listen, guys. Go and listen. Go and listen. Yeah, it's great. It's it's great fun. Um, right, Jeff, I've realized I've, I've been sat here in the dark. You've just been looking at some sort of, you know, silhouette of, of, a, of a man. I'm sat here and the, the room's like pitch black. I've just looked at myself on the screen. See how long I've been talking? Yeah. <laughs> is he there? Yeah. <laughs> Where Alex, Alex is going to be snoring soon and I'll still be talking. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I need some of those pills, those sleeping pills. <laughs> Oh, well jeff thank you ever so much and um i will i'll see you soon absolutely thanks alex it takes a huge amount of courage to tell your story publicly so i'd like to say a massive thank you to jeff once again from his story i could really resonate with how different you feel to everyone else during a gambling addiction you feel completely alone and isolated but the amazing thing is upon finding recovery you realize there are thousands, if not millions, of people similar to yourself. Or as Jeff puts it, finally being able to find people from the same part of the planet. It's incredibly comforting. It's inspiring to hear that Jeff is free from gambling, five plus years now, and how he is helping thousands of people from across the globe. As a peer recovery specialist, and also his amazing gambling addiction recovery podcast that he hosts alongside Brian, all in the Addicted Gamblers podcast. They have interviewed some amazing guests and I highly recommend tuning in. It's such a good podcast, I can't tell you. Not only this, but Jeff has become a great friend and source of inspiration. If any of you are in need of help and support, I highly recommend getting in touch with him. He is super amazing. You can find his details in the podcast description. So... We've reached the end of series three, and I'd like to say a massive thank you to all of our guests for appearing on the podcast and sharing their inspirational stories. Thank you to Lewis, Paul, Ben, Nick, Danny, Colin, and Jeff. I hope you've enjoyed listening to their stories as much as I have. I'd also like to say a massive thank you to you for tuning in. 
thank you for your patience with my uh, somewhat alternative interview technique. I'm getting better, I promise, or trying to anyway. Um, yes, I'd also like to say a massive thank you to the sponsors of the podcast, Talk Band Stop, for their continued support. We're going to hear from them in series four. The main aim with The Invisible Addiction is to help people who felt gambling problems, who identify with stories echoing their own experiences. If one of you has listened and gotten comfort from the podcast, that is amazing. That is my measure of quote unquote success. I'm delighted to announce that there will be a fourth series of podcasts. There's some amazing guests lined up, people from around the world sharing their stories and experiences. I am super excited to share them with you. In the meantime, please look out for some vlogs on YouTube that I'll be uploading, sharing parts from my gambling addiction story and other bits and pieces. Right now in the UK, there's a gambling app review going on and uh, yeah, it's a very busy time. So uh, yeah, get involved. All right, um, finally, I always forget to ask this and I hate asking for favors, like it's a bit cringy, isn't it? But, but it would be amazing if you would leave a nice review of the podcast, especially on iTunes. Um, it will really help boost the podcast in the mental health category. And uh, yeah, in all seriousness, it will help reach more people um, that, that need it the most. Um, wanna say a massive thank you for all your support. Take care guys, and I'll speak to you soon. Ta-da.